Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get up! Get up! Yeah! Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Welcome to the Houndsman XP Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Powell. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be featuring some other organizations, some other folks that are probably not recognized as houndsmen. They've got a lot of experience with hounds, but they specialize in other areas of hunting. They represent different groups. And so my goal with all of these podcasts has always been for us to get our message out there to other crowds and other groups. So when we feature like this guest this week is the host of a very popular hunting podcast called Backcountry Hunting. It's not BHA. 
So don't get it confused. It's Backcountry Hunting Podcast. And Joseph came on the podcast. He actually, we're going to talk about a recent bear camp they had with several other folks and houndsmen, things like that. But the whole idea is for us to bridge gaps. And we can't do that. We can't make our reach broader. We can't have influence into other aspects of hunting if all we do is uh, fight with them on Facebook. So we're going to take the next few weeks. We're going to talk to even some deer hunting podcasters and, and start having this conversation. We can't overcome barriers and hurdles if we can't at least sit down and have a conversation. So I'm really excited to have Joseph Von Benedict on the podcast. He's an outdoor writer, and he writes for several, several big publications that are hunting magazines. And what a great guy. What a great guy to have on our side and at least start developing that relationship. Old stories are great. Our history, we shouldn't forget it as houndsmen. I'm not asking anybody not to not to keep pushing those stories, and we're going to keep interviewing some of these legendary houndsmen and things like that. But as the one and only Benjamin Franklin stated, if we don't hang together, surely we will all hang separately. We can't survive into the future. We can't keep doing the things we love to do without our friends who are fishermen, bird hunters, deer hunters, elk hunters, sheep hunters, all of them. If you're a hunter, just say you're a hunter. And and we need to bring the community together. It's a great conversation. Gives you some uh, insights and, and different things of how the backcountry hunters operate and, and what they think about us as houndsmen. On Friday's show, at the end of the pre-roll, I actually offered a... Um, giveaway for people that listen to the pre-roll and there was a reason i wanted to do that i need for folks to start tuning into the pre-rolls and we're ending that giveaway it's been up for 72 hours and said several thousand downloads and if you haven't listened to it and contacted me by now then you probably aren't listening to the pre-rolls several people did contact me after listening to that pre-roll and they're all getting decals from houndsman xp that i'm shipping out today so listen to the pre-rolls. That's what I'm trying to say. And the reason is, is because this coming weekend, August 11th and 12th in Florence, Colorado, the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association is hosting an Outdoorsman Days. This is going to be an awesome event. There are going to be several sporting groups on the grounds, and it's all about awareness. There's, you can find the flyers on their website for their events and that's the Colorado Trappers and Predators Hunting Predator Hunters Association just google them the event will come up but man you got to make time to get out there cuz this is going to be a kickoff event for the upcoming battle for lion hunting and predator trapping in Colorado there's going to be a ballot initiative next year in 2024 everybody's expecting it all the groups are are gearing up for it you got to get out there and and show your support and be counted be counted i know that there's a ton of things that you can find to do this weekend but there isn't a more important place that you need to be 
Blood Origins is going to be doing a premiere of the film Lionheart, which features my buddies Josh and Jason Whitaker from Whitaker Brothers Hunting. I know that the Dwyers, Cleve and Becky, are also featured in this film. It'd be a great opportunity to come out and show our support for Houndsman. Houndsman XP is going to be there. Shorty and I will be there. So I'm telling you, it's time to get serious about taking a stand for our rights. And just look at what's happening in Colorado and just plan that that's going to eventually happen to you in your state. Like I said on the AMA Friday, the pre-rolls are going to switch over to promotion of legislative issues, stuff like that. And this is where I can get this information out to you very quickly. So watch our Facebook groups and our uh, Instagram pages. We're going to be posting We post stuff there all the time, too. You can check out Houndsman XP at houndsmanxp.com. And there's a link in there where you can download the podcasts and, and visit our Patreon. And we will be announcing very soon another benefit for our Patreon sponsors. You're not going to want to miss it. You can join us by going to houndsmanxp.com and checking us out on Patreon. Let's get right down to it. Thanks for tuning in to the Houndsman XP podcast, taking time out of your day, whatever you're doing. If you're running the road, if you're running equipment, if you're at work, thanks for listening, folks. It's time to get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. Joseph, I, I know that you've done a lot of podcasts. So, folks, we've got Joseph Von Benedict in the house for uh, this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. And, Joseph, you guys have got a successful podcast, the Backcountry Hunting Podcast. And um, we're going to talk about all that stuff. But I think the main thing here and the reason that I'm so happy that, that you agreed to come on and do this is because uh, you're not – I don't think you would consider yourself a houndsman, but you are a very diverse and well-known name in back in backcountry hunting and and the outdoor riding world and and just a lot of stuff for us to talk about. And I always think it's good for us to get out of our silos and stop preaching to the crowd and show people some other places where they can get some resources to improve their hunting, improve their time outside and to uh, be able to talk about why they hunt, why we do what we do. And that's what we're big on, is about controlling the narrative, taking back the narrative for houndsmen. And uh, I think I think you guys have, have got that squared away. So welcome, Joseph. Well, thank you, sir. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know, the, There's that old saying, preaching to the choir. Sometimes you got to get out in the streets and teach everybody else how to sing, too. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> a lot of times I'll use the phrase, you know, I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find bread, you know? Uh, I like that. There isn't anything special. I've I've just kind of been one of those guys that has always been a student and always tried to learn. And uh, that's actually came from uh, uh, a preacher that we had at our church for a long time. He He used that line a few times and I thought, you know, that takes it all out of it. You get the ego out of it. You get, it's like, I'm here to learn too. So, yeah, you know, I grew up, I was, uh, uh, how shall I put it? Uh, many of my formative years were heavily influenced by the Western author, uh, Louis L'Amour. <laughs> oh, I've read a bunch of Louis L'Amour books. 
Yeah. Anyway, he's he's uh, got some great uh, morals and just life processes in, that he teaches or taught. He's passed away long since. But mm-hmm. uh, one thing he wrote once that I've never forgotten is that a man in love with learning is never without a bride. I've kind of tried to live my life by that. A man in love with learning is never without a bride. Yes. I'm going to have to write that one down. Maybe you can text it to me so I don't have to <laughs> distract myself. Yeah, I like I like <laughs> that saying. And you know, our Wednesday show is, that Heath Hyatt produces is all about that. And he brings in he brings in learning from every place. He's a professional canine handler and has interacted with some of the top trainers in the world. And he brings all of that information that he's learned from that world and transfers it over for houndsmen. And and his his closing line on every podcast is Thanks for helping us teach, train, and learn. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about you, Joseph. Uh, you know, where you come from. Do you go by Joe or Joseph if somebody walks up to you? You know, I'll answer to just about anything, but my family and close friends have always called me Joseph just because my best pal growing up was Joe. So we had to be able to tell us <laughs> apart. <laughs> I get it, man. It's a... Uh, with a last name like Bond Benedict, I kind of had a feeling it might be Joseph. Well, sometimes you have to, you know, <laughs> let, let the sound ring. <laughs> That's right. It it flows well. So um, where do you want to start? You want to talk? Let's talk about your podcast. You guys are you guys are really hit hitting it hard and uh, do a great job over there on on a v- wide variety of topics. It's called the Backcountry Hunting Podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and inform fellow hunters, you know, and we do have a focus on backcountry hunting and even around the world, but of course, primarily here in the Rocky Mountain West, because that's where I'm located, where I grew up and uh, most of my hunting has been done. I spent a lot Mm -hmm. of time in Alaska and some deep uh, remote areas of the dark continent, Africa, and I, I count that, you know, if you've got to travel two days and then, you know, via airplane and then maybe a half a day by a vehicle on dirt roads to get where you're hunting, that's pretty deep backcountry. So right, lots of good stories. We're heavy on uh, gear. We try and do a lot of how to, uh, such as choosing the right gear for a backcountry hunt and then how to set it up properly and how to practice and train for success. We do some uh, mental aspects trying to make sure that folks are prepared for the solitude the loneliness for the challenge i've always said that the the greater the challenge the greater the potential reward and that's something that plays out so often in the backcountry but Mm -hmm. as far as you know the the podcast itself it's about four years old we've just published our 233rd episode we drop every every thursday night at midnight so folks have something to listen to on friday going into their weekends and would love to have y'all join us, man. I, we're always looking for good resources. Uh, we can tell stories about the the old timers and the houndsmen, and I love bringing that up. We just did a great podcast on uh, with a guy from northern New Mexico that was was uh, attacked by a black bear. Super story, and but sometimes you just got to pump the brakes and find out what's going on on in the world around you and backcountry hunting podcast is a great resource for people to do that i really liked what you said about the mental preparedness and and it's um 
a lot of people have the desire or they think that they want to do certain things and then they get into it and it's like, whoa, you know, I, I didn't plan on this part. It's kind of like the Mike Tyson saying, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Absolutely. Yep. And, and it then can be hard. Yeah. And, and the old saying is, you know, no, no plan survives first contact. You know, no, you, always, right. you always go to the second <laughs> plan B at that point. So, you know, what no are doubt. some of, what are some of the things that you guys talked about? Cause I haven't listened to that particular podcast. I've listened to the one, uh, on your bear hunting and, and, uh, shooting bears and, and some of those podcasts that are real applicable, but I'm sure. a guy, I'm a guy like you that, that likes to be mentally prepared, mental preparation. So the yeah, the mental preparedness thing is first just un expect the unexpected because you're if you're coming into a new area, even if you're a seasoned hunter in similar scenarios, there will be unexpected facets of that adventure. But particularly if you're coming west from, you know, the deep south, the Midwest, the Northeast, whatever it might be, you're going to encounter some shocking changes. Mm -hmm. I try and correspond a lot with, uh, with our listeners, uh, you can reach me at joseph at backcountrypodcast.com. That's email or just ping me on the Backcountry Hunting Podcast Instagram page. But we uh, we correspond a lot about some of these challenges that people face, the unexpected stuff. And uh, I've heard everything from people that can't handle the silence. You know, suddenly there's a complete absence of road noise of trains in the distance of a tractor humming somewhere off in the background, whatever. But, uh, people don't anticipate that honest silence that you sometimes get in the back country. And then the solitude, I mean, it's big country. If you've grown up even hunting a full section or whatever, you know, in, in Iowa, if you're blessed to hunt whitetails there or whatnot, a section is big until you get into an area in the mountains that's measured in hundreds of square miles. And it's Frank overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, the steepness makes it to where sometimes it can take you two hours to go a half a mile. And that makes the country feel even more vast. Well, you know, it's one of those things. I think part of God's plan, you know, the, the I don't want to say the undercover plan, but the non-obvious stuff is to sometimes help us feel our own significance, to help us stay humble and appreciative and that big country will do that, and sometimes it does it to the point where it's overwhelming, and folks have a real hard time with it. So one of the the big keys that we tell people is going with a good hunting partner, somebody you can trust, somebody you can talk to, somebody you're not afraid to say, "Hey, man, I'm actually struggling a little bit here. Uh, help me out. You know, let's help me get back on focus." But better yet, hunt with somebody that knows you well enough and has known you long enough that they can see it without being told and they'll mm -hmm. lift you when you're down. And then you can give them that own, you know, that, that, uh, perspective as well. If you see them struggling a bit, do something to lift their spirits. Another thing is very simple, uh, sleep and nutrition. If you're not sleeping well, you're going to have mental, uh, you know, all mental struggles are compounded. And if you're not eating well, the same thing happens. Hydration, another huge one. If you're not hydrated, you can't think well. And it's not like you can jump in the, you know, the side-by-side -side and run out to the convenience store and get yourself a, a drink there. You got to 
plan ahead. You know, if it's real wet country, just have a good filter. I've taught my boys always carry a life straw in their pocket. And that way, if you, I mean, even if you just cross a little brackish puddle, if you're real thirsty, you can safely drink out of it. Yeah. You know, it's more important, of course, in desert country, if you're hunting high country desert or high country mule deer or desert mule deer, uh, some places you'll find elk without a lot of water. You got to plan ahead and sometimes you have to haul water. Mm -hmm. That gets hard too, but stay hydrated. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, going back to going back to a couple of things you said there, you know, the, the sleep deprivation is one of the, one of the main things that advanced interrogators use, you know, to, to get information because you start losing your mind. Um, it's something that we used in training recruits in the military and, and different things like that as well. And for law enforcement, you deprive people of sleep and you really start figuring out what kind of person you're dealing with. It tests that mental toughness. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, the first night out, the first couple nights out are, are always restless. They're always, you know, it's, it's hard to get that sleep. It's hard to get that rest. Um, a lot of naps in the middle of the afternoon, you know, when you're, when you're first getting out there and nothing's going on. So you just take a break, you kick the seat back. You know, a lot of our hunting is, is, um, is vehicle based with the hounds, but it can be on, on mule back or on foot. And some of the places in Virginia that, that we hunt, uh, aren't the Frank church wilderness, but you're a few hours from the vehicle, you know, and and you've got to plan that. And it amazes me the the number of people I see in the back country for even around here that, that walk in unprepared, you know, they, they don't even think about the fact that if you get two miles back in this rough country and you do something as simple as sprain an ankle, cut yourself with a knife, um, you know, skinning a bear, whatever you're doing. And you have even a minor emergency becomes a major ordeal at that point when you're, when you're totally unprepared. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely can. And it, you know, the deeper you are, the, the worse it becomes. And then if you add solo hunting into that, it's exacerbated as well. Anymore. I really encourage people doing that type of hunting to carry some sort of an emergency communication device, like a right. Garmin inReach or something. Yeah. The newest iPhones I hear have an SOS type feature that uh, activates even when there's no cell phone service. It'll ping a satellite and you can get help. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. When I was in my early 20s, I took a 10-day wilderness first responder course because I was guiding big game hunters at the time. And I just started feeling like my basic, you know, first aid course that was required to have my guide's license really wasn't adequate for some of the things I might encounter. And that wilderness first responder course has served me real well, not necessarily in responding to actual incidents. I haven't, knock on wood, I haven't yet had to try and save somebody's life, right? But Mm -hmm. I've been able to recognize oncoming situations before they became bad. I had one client that came out from Wisconsin and with his son and we were just visiting the night before we headed into the high country with the pack horses. And he confessed to me that he had actually falsified his medical page. So we always 
sent out a, a medical form and had clients fill it out and send it back to us. And he left off that he was having a quadruple bypass that summer. So he's like, I don't know, eight or nine weeks off a quadruple bypass to his heart. And we're going to 9,500 feet elevation. He's coming from low country. And I knew right away, this was potentially a real problem. So right. we adjusted our route. We went in, there's a road I could get real high and we'd more or less be just traveling across uh, the same altitude. We, we didn't have to climb to get in. It's a little longer, but uh, it was safer, I felt. And by the yeah. time I got him halfway in there, his face was gray. He could only go 100 yards at a time before he'd have to lean against a tree and catch his breath for five minutes. And I knew we had a problem. And so I, I sat him down on an elk trail, told him to keep his eyes peeled, and I was coming back with a horse for him. So I took the pack horses in, dropped all their gear and switched one of them to a riding saddle and, and went back and got him. And he didn't sleep for two nights and could barely walk from the client tent to the cook tent. We had a big mm -hmm. wall tent camp. And I finally said, man, you're, you're going downhill. I can tell you're, you're just not feeling right. We need to get you back into the low country. And his son kept hunting, had a great hunt. We had to take him down and, uh, I feel like if I hadn't had that training to watch, you know, his responses to that high altitude and to kind of know just as simple as, you know, getting him down 3000 feet was going to make his life a whole lot better. Sure. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh we could, we could do a whole podcast on the topic we're talking about for sure. I don't want to, I know that Heath is getting ready to drop a, a very similar episode here coming up. So I don't want to steal his thunder. So <laughs> sure. on, the, on this podcast at all but uh some of the other things you guys talk about i mean like bullet selection we did we just um we've done a few episodes there's so much common ground here joseph that that we need to find every every time we can find common ground with our fellow hunters whether they're turning a hound loose or they're hiking into the the high country to spot and stalk you know mountain goats how do how do we do that how do we continue? How do we capitalize on that? You know, what's your recipe? I don't know if I have a hundred percent fell proof recipe for doing that, but I can tell you what's worked for me and some of the friends that I've hunted with. And that's just have an adventurous spirit and an open mind, because when you try something different, most likely you're going to find you like it. For example, you know, a guy that grows up hunting high country mule deer and elk may have never hunted coons over hounds and they may have some weird conceptions about it misconceptions or just <laughs> ideas you know go and try it give it a chance with an open mind and you will find that there are some lifestyles out there some guys with other passions that are really compelling so i grew up actually with a, a pack of hounds we had six lion dogs my brother and i did through my late teens and into my 20s and we love to chase mountain lions uh it's been a long time ago I'm not yeah. going to admit how long, but it was just a great introduction into that world and working a good dog, watching a good hound or a good bird dog work is a terrific, uh, you know, way to expand the way you enjoy the outdoors. So I guess that's probably the, the biggest thing that's worked for me is just challenging with a smile, challenge people to try it. Say, so listen, mm -hmm. don't knock it until you've tried it. And then if you decide it's not for you, you'll have some authority behind you to talk about. I've never seen a person like that come back and say, yep, I was right. It sucked. 
Yeah. You know, those guys are unethical or whatever. They come back and they're like, man, that was cool. So, yeah. We've, yeah. we've had the opportunity to take veterans on, a, on adventures and stuff through freedom honors and, and guys that have never, I mean, they had, they came in with a lot of predisposed ideas about what with hunting, hunting with hounds was all about. Uh, they had no experience. And by the end of the weekend, it's like, are you guys going to do another one of these? We want to go again. You know, whether yeah. it's hog hunting, bear hunting, uh, you know, what it, we had people drive from Iowa to North Central Indiana to go coon hunting with hounds. And even in my mind, I'm like, who in the right mind would, would do that? Hey, folks, when you've got great sponsors and great products, it's not hard to talk about them. And I want to tell you about Onyx. Onyxmaps.com is where you go to get the most comprehensive mapping system in the hunting world. I'm telling you, it is a game changer for your hunting. It's going to reduce the cost of having map cards for every state. It doesn't directly integrate with your Garmin, but I use it all the time. If you can read a Garmin and then open up Onyx, you can see exactly where your dogs are headed, get property information, get terrain features. You can track where you've been. So if you're hunting in a new area, say you're headed to Autumn Oaks and you're going to guide up there through a friend of a friend of a friend and you want to know the area, you can actually pre-scout that area, go in and hunt it and it'll map your actual track. You can turn on that feature and it'll record it. While you're out there hunting, pre-hunting those spots, you can also find out who the neighboring landowners are. Contact them. Tell them what's up. Tell them you're going to be in there hunting, and, and more than likely, you're going to be able to gain access to more property in those areas. I use Onyx all the time. No lie. So you can go to the Houndsman XP website at houndsmanxp.com. Click on the Onyx logo on our sponsor page and get your next elite subscription and use our promo code hxp20 and you will get 20 percent off of your subscription for onyx patreon members you get a deeper discount when you join us on patreon know where you stand with onyx with no experience you know sure this last year we had guys that came down from um, wisconsin that the two veterans brought their kids with them came down to coon hunt in northern indiana on a and i'm in southern indiana and i was even asking myself why i'm driving five hours to coon hunt tonight when i can coon hunt right here but uh <laughs> uh it, it, you're exactly right but i think we just i think it's human nature though to um find a tribe yeah. and be accepted into your tribe and and along with that if you're not guarded then you become you become so tribalistic that everything anybody else is doing is is not living up to what you do or is not as good as what you do or it's not the right way or it's you know you just get it we fall into those traps it can happen yeah and another thing that i see that is maybe I don't know. It's not a hopeful trend as I see less and less reading of actual printed material, books and magazines among, you know, the younger crowds today. Now they're reading online and so forth. And that's good. That's important. 
But, uh, you know, I grew up reading Robert Rourke and Hemingway and Capstick on hunting Africa. And so I always had this driving desire to go hunt Africa. And that's been one of the most rewarding experiences in my life. I've been eight times and I, I can't wait to go back again. And it's oddly enough, becoming less and less expensive comparatively, you know, a good elk hunt in the West now costs more than a good safari in Namibia. It's crazy, but yeah. it's a, a really cool experience to go do that. And it really opens your eyes and helps you learn what drives other people's passions. And more often than not, you, you end up adopting those. For sure. For sure. It's, um, I still see the comments on, on social media though, especially, uh, you know, somehow it seems like Instagram has become the new place that I see these maybe because my Facebook is the algorithms. I only see what they, you know, what I'm, what I'm interested in, but, but somebody will post something on Instagram and another hunter will come on and say, well, you know, hunting and hounds with bears is not fair chase or hunting a mountain lion with hounds is not fair chase. And I don't understand that because the next question is always, have you ever done it? It's like, no, yeah. but no, but you know, how right. can this be fair? Yeah. I hunted a bear this, uh, this past spring here in my home state of Idaho and, uh, shot it over dogs. I've hunted black bears, spot and stock, quite a few of them over bait, quite a few of them. Mm -hmm. I've, uh, never shot one over hounds before I've, predator called them you know i've, I've yeah. used a lot of different methods and so i was really excited to get to hunt one over hounds and i posted a couple of pictures on social media and i had a guy on facebook say you know how can this be you know, ethical you know you, right you left the meat which we didn't of course and and just anyway so, some derogatory stuff kind of like you're talking about and i don't have a whole lot of patience for internet trolls you know i just kind of uh, I think I responded something like, you know, don't knock it till you've tried it or something like mm -hmm. that. But another guy that I'm acquainted with on Facebook kind of jumped into my defense and he did something that I think is really admirable. He said, Hey, I think just guessing you've probably never tried this. Come out, hunt bears with me. We'll spot and stalk them. He also lives in Idaho and we'll take all the meat. We'll cook it. You'll learn how good it is. You'll learn how, you know, so many bear hunters, take everything, the skull, the claws, the hide, the meat, uh, you know, boil down the fat, render down the fat for bear right. oil. And he said, most of these guys, these backcountry hunters are not wasting anything. Come out and try it with me and then see what you, you know, if that doesn't change your mind. And of course the guy didn't respond. Sure, right? But sure. I thought, wow, I can't do that. Right. There's too many people that I, <laughs> and it's just too, I couldn't, but I was really impressed that this gentleman went out of his way far enough to invite somebody with an alternate opinion, say, come, let me try and change your mind. That was pretty sure. cool. Sure. Yeah. And I'm seeing more, actually, I'm seeing a little bit more of that kind of mentality come in. I don't know how we got sidetracked on social media. I think it's because it's, <laughs> it goes right back to what you were talking about, you know, the solitude. A lot of times people can't, can't get away from, from their phones long enough. And that drives them crazy. It's such a huge part of their life. And, yeah. um, but I'm seeing a lot more on social media where people are being more open-minded about things than, than what I have in the past, you know, back yeah. in the day, man, it, it, it just, the people were so entrenched in their thinking and, and tribalism that, 
that if you shot a uh, an inline muzzleloader and I shot a flintlock, then you weren't even a real hunter, you know? Right. So crazy yeah. stuff. Crazy. Yeah. We've come a long way, I think. I agree. And I think, you know, even though there's still a lot of that um, tribalism, I do think that the tribes are now starting to think maybe we need to be in on a bit of a, you know, an overall alliance here just to mm -hmm. protect our hunting future and, and yeah. you know, save that for our kids. Yeah. All right. So is, this is a question I got for you personally. Um, as many podcasts as you've done on on ballistics and firearms and bullets and uh, tell us what your bear hunting setup was that you took that took that bear with this spring with hounds. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I follow the old uh, Robert Rourke philosophy of use enough gun, right? I like to hammer stuff hard <laughs> and I've never been recoil sensitive. That's just a, a personal characteristic, you know? So I took a, one of the new Marlin lever actions built under the Ruger umbrella. There's some beautiful lever actions chambered in 4570. Now shooting. Ooh, yeah. That's right. Shooting Barnes, Vortex, not Vortex, their new pioneer line of ammo loaded with a triple shock bullet, 300 grain, all copper bullet with a big hollow nose. They open up the size of a silver dollar and go real deep. I've seen them go, you know, 36 inches or more deep in calibrated uh, ordnance gelatin in penetration tests. So I like to hit stuff hard. You know, I've seen a lot of game over the years, you know, that just didn't get killed as quickly as i thought i'd like to see mm -hmm. it die and of course every animal's an individual and just like people some of them refuse to give up the ghost a lot more than others some of them just drop at the shot right but you can kind of swing the odds in your favor by swinging a hammer that's appropriate for the job and i'm, I'm a big believer in that i don't like shooting stuff where you place all of your faith in shot placement right you can shoot a a moose through both lungs with the 223 and it'll kill him but you know if you hit around the edge of the vitals you probably aren't gonna recover him you yeah. gotta in my opinion it's good to shoot something that's gonna really cause uh damage to the vital organs that's on a par with the size of the animal just out of respect for mm -hmm. it sure. i'm not saying going overboard you don't need to shoot prey dogs with a 50 bmg you know <laughs> 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 but anyway so that's what i shot this bear with my hunting partner was carrying another good rig also a marlin and his was loaded with uh 225 grain all copper bullets also barns ammunition in 44 magnum and that's a pretty good load right a lot right. of people carry 44 magnums in bear country as kind of a backup personal defense tool right mm -hmm. well his bear was about the size of mine, maybe a few pounds heavier. And we shot him in similar situations and he shot his three times. It died cleanly, but it took maybe 30 seconds. It actually ended up getting out of the tree and ran a short distance and then tipped over within view, no problems, no dogs hurt and so forth. The bear I shot, I hit him broadside, sort of, he was way above me. So it was probably entered low right. and then exited up on his high shoulder and it just about knocked him out of the tree and he whipped around grabbed on with both paws and I shot him between both shoulder blades and he fell out rag limp stone dead. So he died mm -hmm. in a couple of seconds, right? Just because I, I, I think the extra wallop of that 4570 made a difference. And what's that bullet weigh? That one's 300 grains out of the 4570. 
and what's the the 44 magnum was probably what two 180 225 okay it was 225 yeah yeah another great load yeah yeah but it just didn't have that same freight train effect on them sure so were you shooting any optic or anything on your yeah my partner didn't he shot iron sights i shot a leupold um vxr i think it's actually a discontinued scope but it's a red dot uh in a magnified optics so it's a one to five okay low uh, magnification I, yeah great yep. great scope for for shooting dark animals in dark thickets at low light <laughs> right yeah where you need that that field of vision field of view they don't get lost in the scope i've seen i've i have seen people um uh, that weren't accustomed to hunting the way we hunt you know show up with with uh 30 out sixes and long range scopes and you look at their scope and they've got it dialed up to 20 and it's like yeah. no that's that's not what you want you don't want to you've got to be able to find things in that scope real you know it's not a good rapid act side acquisition target acquisition type scope, that's right so. yep anytime you're hunting over hounds or thick in thick cover or for dangerous game you got to have a big wide field of view yep for sure and low magnification yeah yep um so what else you got going on with uh with your other work besides the podcast i know you do some <laughs> writing you do some stuff like that so yeah so the writing is actually my full-time job i've been doing that for coming up on geez what is it 16 yeah i said what else you got now? going on like like that's not <laughs> the biggest part <laughs> yeah, I write for uh, Shooting Times magazine, Peterson's Hunting magazine, Rifle Shooter magazine, and for Guns and Ammo's special interest publications. Those are the newsstand only, like focused topic, big, perfect bound, beautiful magazines that you find on the the newsstands at the grocery stores, or whatever. And ah, uh, geez, I I generally produce about a hundred articles a year. Wow! And uh, do a lot of r new rifle reviews, ammunition reviews and analysis, optics, performance stuff, adventure stories for the hunting magazines. I write a vintage gun column for shooting times. That's one of my great passions in life is fine old firearms. No kidding. Do hand loadings. I do the hand loading column for uh, uh, Rifle Shooter magazine and then the Western hunting column for Peterson's hunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got to go through the uh, uh, museum there at Cody this year when we were out there for the American Bear Foundation convention oh and, that's a uh, terrific place you can't do it in one day no i mean i can because i'm not in if i was truly into the vintage stuff like you were but i was going over and like pulling out the the savage 1896 rifles and looking at those you know the old humpback lever guns and, and yeah. things like that so but but i didn't even scratch the surface in there and we were there we went back two days and and uh took in all the museums i was in i was intrigued with the art museum too sure uh, that they've got right there so but I, um i love that museum as well the art museum my wife is a, a contemporary wildlife artist and okay does very well with it she's represented jackson hole and santa fe and seattle and park city utah yeah she's pretty talented if you have any listeners that are into very cool wildlife art check her out it's jenna von benedict 
Jenna von Benedict. Like, yeah. I am writing that down because I do like adding to that collection. I think there's something, something to um, capturing that kind of awesome stuff. Yeah, know? for sure. Yeah, yeah. My my daughter uh, spent a lot of her time painting. She did a cover for uh, with a black bear, a treed black bear in a tree, and and uh, I'll send you some send you some pictures over oh, nice. of some of her artwork and i'd love to uh, see them yeah yeah uh, of course everybody's like oh my daughter's a great artist and then you get some paint by number thing but uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it was drawn with cra you know crowns you know who doesn't love their kids artwork For but anyway sure. yeah um so what's going on in the outdoor industry i mean what do you what are you seeing that's trending right now uh threats what's mm. what's going on there you know the the threats is a little bit um harder for me i'm an optimist by nature well let's talk uh, about the good stuff we spend enough yeah. time we spend enough time talking about threats on this podcast let's talk about the optimistic sure. future for hunting <laughs> I, so i see some good things there's a lot of passion in the outdoor um world just following the whole COVID mess, you know, people got outside and started hunting more than they have in a long time. Um, the backcountry thing I think is real trendy. People want to get out find that, that solitude and kind of reset their, their, uh, mental, can't talk today. Equilibrium. I can't long talk range, <laughs> long range shooting is real trendy and I'm fully on board with that long range hunting is also super trendy and i'm ambivalent on that well i'm not ambivalent that would indicate i don't have an opinion i do have an opinion and i'm okay with it i'm fine with the guys that live and breathe that lifestyle if you're burning out barrels perfecting your craft that's one thing and we're all wired differently some of us love to hunt close and and shoot traditional bows you know i shot my first branch antler bull elk at 11 yards with a longbow mm -hmm. but uh you know some of us are wired technically and just love to shoot and place a perfect shot at further distances. That's okay. Just don't buy super expensive equipment and think that it's going to, you can't purchase skill is what I'm saying. I'll get right. off that soapbox. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll comment on that too. I mean, that's, right. that's the same as the person that thinks they can just go buy some, buy some hounds and, and go out and, and start catching game effectively. Yeah, You know, there's a few things there. I, I'm with you as far as, as far as that goes. If you, if you think, you know, I was watching a TV show and now I'm going to go kill an antelope at a thousand yards. And, but the guys like you were talking about that burn out barrels to perfect their craft, they're putting in the time, they're putting in the trigger time, yeah. they're putting in the work and it's, it's all good. I have no problem with that. It's the guys that, that are half assing it they go yeah. out there and and they're taking shots that are way beyond their their ability because they think they've they've spent ten thousand dollars on a rifle setup and like you said it doesn't they didn't buy the skill that goes with the rifle yeah exactly yeah so and the same sure. thing i see the same thing with people buying a bird dog or buying a hound and just not yeah. spending the time with them that they need to, to get them fundamentally started. And then they go out and they're frustrated because the dog isn't, you know, acting like the dog that they hunted over 
on some preserve somewhere right you know that's right. an old veteran dog yeah uh, well i've even seen i've even seen guys go out and buy a really nice hound mm -hmm. and then and then not hunt it yeah and then they can't figure out you know why they're not being successful with a hound that somebody else had a lot of success with and it's, like it's because taking a taking a high school track star and putting them on donuts and no exercise for a year and then putting them back on the track and wondering why they can't run. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, people are constantly asking me how many hounds I have, how many dogs I have. Cause typically, you know, um, houndsmen are known to, to get a few too many mouths to feed at times and mm -hmm. have too many head of dogs. Uh, if you're a hard hunter and, and, you can you can keep them in the woods and you keep them exercised if you can do that with with 15 or 40 then more power to you but for me personally you know with my schedule and and my other obligations and things i'm just kind of a four or five you know four or five dog guy you know that yeah. just just dogs that that get their exercise of course if i have a bad wreck or something like that on a mean bear i'm going to be out of business for for a few days but i really like what uh an old houndsman said one time his name was willis butaw he said if you can't catch a bear with four hounds you don't need more dogs you need better dogs so yeah yeah <laughs> i like that that's a rule i try to live by so yeah uh, yeah other back to the trends thing another trend yeah. i've seen is expensive equipment you know people oh are my gosh isn't it crazy whether whether you know i see it in the houndsman world just looking from the outside in you know, I grew up, guys were buying and driving old trucks mm -hmm. with their dogs. Now you see some of these guys with cutting edge, you know, the Toyota Tacoma with dog boxes that cost more than my farm truck, you know, just the dog box and the GPS collars and so forth. The same thing is in the hunting industry. You know, even guys in the East that can't find a range further than a hundred yards are still buying precision rifles because they like the knowledge that they can shoot a half inch group, but a hundred yards with it, you know, and expensive scopes you see guys buy a, a hunting rifle setup now so rifle scope mounts scope bipod you know all the gizmos or whatever and like you mentioned some of them will spend up to ten thousand bucks and it's not uncommon to see a guy drop three thousand mm -hmm. when i was a kid if you spent over a thousand bucks for your rifle and your scope you were living large man you had it set <laughs> up that was, of course yeah. that's been a few years ago and prices have increased too so <laughs> yeah yeah that's true that's true but just uh i mean everything from and i'm a gear guy i mean i i do believe that the right gear starting with at the ground with your boots all the way up yeah can make or break your hunt and i i grew up the first real hunting camo that i had was actually military surplus from vietnam era the pants were too short i've actually cut off a pair of blue jeans that i had and sewed a cuff around the bottom of them to make them long enough to wear uh mom mom i think mom actually sewed those in for me but i had the idea and uh just whatever boots you could put on your feet and stuff so i i know what it's like to to scrape and and you know, get whatever you can to get out there. And I think that's a valuable lesson for people. I think everybody should go through that. You know, I made a lot of my own gear. I made when we were trapping, uh, you know, taking traps apart and, and 
putting a trap together that actually worked. You take six traps and you get get enough parts off of all of them to make one of them work. Yeah. Uh, you know, everything from hunting belts to, you know, to carry our lights on. I did all that stuff. I, I understand that. But but now it's it's easy to fall into um I, I see the value of the of spending some money. Buy once, cry once. Yeah. You know, good base layers, good boots, good socks, and and it keeps you in the field longer. I'm 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 at the age where my physical abilities are starting to drop off. So I gotta make up some ground somewhere. So I do I do it with the gear to keep you know, at least I'm comfortable while I'm suffering. I'm exactly the same way. I'm bona fide middle aged now and I grew up on, you know, hunting army surplus stuff, either like you talk post Vietnam war era stuff or wool, if I could find it. Yeah, I really yeah. liked wool my wool pants, you know. You bet. But now, man, I've got a little little bit more jingle in my pocket and if it's going to keep me more comfortable in the backcountry i got aches and pains i don't sleep as well at night it takes me longer to recover after pushing hard <laughs> up a mountain you know so i like a lightweight hunting rifle that's really accurate and those are cheaper than heavy rifles that aren't very accurate or they're they're not more as cheap yeah. excuse me they're way more expensive but yeah yeah but if it makes or breaks the the opportunity i i've told people yeah a heavy hunting rifle, precision hunting rifle is easier to shoot than a light one, but you may not even get that shot opportunity because you can't get up the mountain fast enough with the 12 pound rifle. Right. And that window may close before you get to your vantage point, you know, so mm -hmm. carry a seven pound rifle and learn to shoot it. <laughs> Have you ever worn the old Woolrich Malone pants? The, the gray ones with the red stripe, red and green stripes in them. They're no, big. they're big in the West. They, they always were big. They used to be mm -hmm. big in the West. And I, so my dad, funny enough, got me, I don't know where he got it, but he got a bunch of, um, German wool and it was pretty good stuff until it got so old that it rotted and fell apart. But I wore that for 10 or 15 years for pants. And then, oh, I can't remember what I used for a while, but anymore, I've got a real nice set of sleeping Indian wool that. Ooh. I use a lot. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I've got a I've got a set of King of the Mountain that I mm -hmm. sprung for probably man, I bet it's been 20 years ago now. And it it's lasts. Just, it's still brand mm -hmm. new. It's heavy. You know, it it does get heavy. But I'm with you. I had a I had a set of those same pants. They were like cargo pants and yeah. kind of a uh uh brown, you know, model brown color that that were excellent outdoor pants warm yeah. and uh stuff like that but i think we just get to the point where um you just need a few creature comforts to to for me to get me over the top you know it's uh yeah <laughs> it's definitely nice definitely we nice. Burned them. <laughs> yeah i guess three or four guess. decades in the mountains you start appreciating those creature comforts <laughs> yeah yeah so when you were lying I'm, I'm gonna go back to your early days of lion hunting Sure. Um, and you say you were hunting with your brother and, and yeah, what part we were, where were you guys at? Where were you hunting? So we were Southern Utah and the, the area we primarily hunted Ooh. was actually a roadless area. So mm -hmm. you couldn't take even you know snowmobile four wheeler, nothing in there. So we'd take horses in and, uh, we didn't have any kind of, we we're too poor to have, you know, radio telemetry collars or whatnot back sure. then. So 
we mostly hunted with a little bit of snow up to plenty of snow right we didn't run dry ground much partly because the season didn't really open until we were getting snow generally but uh we had some long chases and if you lost your dogs you had to track them with your eyeballs until you found them again which is another reason snow could be important you know right to get out so far ahead of you you couldn't hear them anymore sometimes and on the other end of the stick we had some pretty good mountain horses and i've snowy rivered off the side of more than one canyon just <laughs> hot-blooded and keeping up with the dogs you know right it was a lot of fun yeah did you guys uh did you guys hunt a lot of that rock country where you like southern utah south southwest southeast south central some of it south central yep. yeah we hunted up in some big plateau country with a lot of quaking aspens big rolling canyons mm -hmm. filled with pine trees and so forth and then later in the year january and february we'd end up hunting down in some of that slick rock you know red rock canyon country and that was cool country but it was also scary too i i think it was probably about the fourth serious date with my wife she'd come down to to check out the family place and uh, i'd put a put her up in a little overnight bed and breakfast or something and she went out the next morning with me actually to check a frozen water gate we weren't getting livestock their water and on the way we found a fresh line track so we busted the ice out real quick and headed back and got the dogs and they went right up through town they took the <laughs> the cat right through the <laughs> middle of town in the middle of daytime right i don't think anybody saw they saw the dogs you know they'd hear the dogs come yeah. out of course town was just a big sprawling farming community but at one point that cat went up the end of a slick rock mesa right up the end and we watched our dogs follow it up and there was a, a good skiff of snow two three inches and at the top one of those dogs lost his footing and came all the way down that big slick rock nose just sliding on his side bumping falling bumping falling all the way down i thought oh my gosh you know my this future love interest because i was pretty sure i wanted to marry this girl at this point already I said, she just <laughs> seen us kill a dog <laughs> anyway seconds later that dog ran right up the mountain again he he probably got the wind knocked out of him but he was fine and all about three miles later they treed that cat backed out on a little stubby juniper hanging over a slick rock canyon and uh, the dogs were all you know trying to get up that short little gnarled trunk at him and funny he was a right-handed cat he always swung with his right paw and all the dogs had a, the left side of their face and ears was bloody from that there's blood all over the snow up he'd gone up in altitude and there's about a foot and a half of snow there and we had to hike in into that country because we had some cliffs we couldn't take the horses up and so we waited in there and pulled the dogs out by their tails so we didn't get slapped in the face by the lion right <laughs> we weren't going to kill this one it wasn't a i think it was a big female if i remember right but uh tied them off and my wife let a bleeding dog out for a mile and a half through knee-deep snow my my wife now she was yeah. just a girlfriend at the time and i thought yep she's a keeper so no doubt cool. yeah no doubt yeah you get those cats his lines ledged out like that and i'm i'm not gonna lie that makes me nervous we were hunting the navajo and and um there were some ledges and different things that we were looking at and we just got to talking about it we're like what if we ledge one out over the over the face of that thing right there you know and, and just talking about the the effort that it would take to to get to them and stuff 
guys that do that on a regular basis, man, I, 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 you got my respect because that's some tough country out there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, what do you do? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, you just got to go in there and get them, I guess. Yeah. I, we never had it happen, but I knew other hunters that have dogs try and follow a cat down off of a, a series of cliffs and get ledged out where they couldn't get up or down. And they exactly. had to go in like repel the next day, in. repel in and lift those dogs out. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I even know guys that'll hire, you know, climbers and stuff to go in and, and do the rescue for them. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not the guy that's going to rig up the dogs are treed tie out and, and go down over the cliff. I'm not that guy anymore. I, <laughs> I used to be, but I'm not that guy anymore. I, yeah. I saw, I was reading a story the other day, cable, one of our sponsors, dogs are treed, um, builds a tie out. That's just outstanding. And he was talking about using it to repel down the face to get his dogs. Ooh. And I, and I was like, I love you, Kevin and Nancy, but I don't trust you that much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Sometimes I get into funny spots. Yeah. I, uh, our inspiration, my brother and I, when we got started was an old lion hunter named Stan Meekham and he's still alive, still hunts some he of is. his boys. Yep. His boys, uh, Clint McLean Meekham hunter serious. Yeah. They're well 30 years ago they were 20 years ago they were kind of like houndsman royalty in southern utah but right dan once we were talking to him and he said yeah i had kind of a gnarly experience the other day he said the the dogs pushed a cat into a, a little cave and it was just like a tunnel went back about mm -hmm. 12 or 15 feet and it was maybe two feet around and all the dogs went in there and we need i, I wanted my dogs back so <laughs> he said how'd you get them back he said well I crawled in there pushing a flashlight in one hand and a pistol in the other hand. I'd grab him by the tail and back out. Yeah. One at a time. One at a, one time. At a time. The 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 bad ones are like when you get a bear in something and the bear and the dog manages to get around. You've got one dog behind the bear. Mm. You know, so you got three dogs in front of you, and there's one hound behind the bear. And the three are keeping them busy and the bear doesn't know which way to go so at some point you got to figure out how you're going to get everything out of there so that's why i train for a lot better recall these days you know used to <laughs> i didn't put a handle on anything and yeah. but now i like having a handle where i can just say come on boys we're done and yeah they just peel off and say okay we'll get the next one yep let's go yep. find another adventure yeah yeah for I sure like that. for sure well I think we found a lot of common ground here, Joseph. Um, you know, just the because even those backcountry places where you go, if my hounds go, I'm going there whether I want whether I'd planned on going or not. That's right. And and so I would encourage everybody to to I mean, even if I know that not every person that listens to the backcountry hunting podcast is gonna be thrilled with every episode I put out, you know, there's no doubt sure. about it. If it's not your interest, but there's some stuff that we do that, that we can cross over and, but at least go in there and take a look folks and see what's, what Joseph is producing over there. It's high quality. It's one of the top rated podcasts out there. You're always, 
top 30, well, usually you. top 20 and above in chartable. Yeah, and, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. So you got a great voice for radio too. Ah, well, at least thanks. I didn't I'm... say you got at least I didn't say you got a face for radio. That's what I usually hear. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably true. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what we're doing moving over to YouTube because I definitely have the face for radio. Oh, that's uh, funny. Yeah. But uh anyway, I mean, what else you got for us to we before we wrap this up, Joseph? You know, I think I like the way you kind of have um just such a a way of saying we're in this together so i really appreciate that about your show i appreciate you being uh, willing you know to to host me here on your show that's been a an honor to be here for folks that are interested in dogs man they bring so much extra greatness to your life hounds bird dogs you know I've, i love bird dogs because i live in some country with not a lot but some good wild bird hunting right uh, just just had a thought past my mind throw out a little shout to the bird trainer that has trained my dog I, he i couldn't afford him because he's so good but he uh he trades me a rifle or a scope or something to help me tune my dogs up and it's right has been a blessing tice erickson utah bird dog training and he recently launched the bird dog podcast okay. ton of knowledge there check it out folks he's got um great episodes on Everything from choosing a puppy to, you know, pressure on a dog and how it affects him, how to use it wisely and effectively, and just a terrific all-around um, friend and human being. So check out the Bird Dog Podcast, too. Yeah, we sure will. And we we might even track him down to be a guest because just because it's not barking up a tree, dog, dog behavior is dog behavior. Dogs, yeah. dogs learn the same way it's just finding those things that they're predisposed in their genetic makeup to find out where to push put pressure and where to release pressure and stuff like that but but things like that topic right there you know pressure you know most people look at that and they they don't understand what that means to a dog trainer and yeah. heath hyatt does a great job i keep talking about heath but he does a great job on on uh that and then chad reynolds also on uh our Friday show is a multi-species animal trainer, but specializes in all kinds of dog training stuff. And so he, he understands that too. So if you can start putting all these pieces together, I look at it like, you know, it's all a recipe. You, you go out here and you, you're kind of experimenting, making your own barbecue sauce. And you don't, you don't just start from, you know, from your own mind usually you're usually picking up these different pieces and bringing them all together to to put together this the perfect perfect blend that you need yeah absolutely yep yeah. yeah. well joseph man i appreciate you taking time to uh join us on the houndsman xp podcast everybody you can we'll have the link to joseph's podcast in our uh, show notes and you guys got a website how can people reach you, Joseph? Yeah, we're actually in process of revamping the website. Uh, funny enough, it was uh, it's always been backcountryhuntingpodcast.net because when I launched years ago, somebody else owned the .com domain, and I just managed to buy that. So we're about to go through uh, you know, a website redesign. So currently the best way to reach us is, of course, you can just follow the Backcountry Hunting Podcast on whatever listening app you use, whether sure. it's Apple Podcasts or spotify stitcher whatever or check us out on instagram if you're a social media user that's uh, just backcountryhuntingpodcast.com 
or email me at joseph at backcountrypodcast, no hunting, just backcountrypodcast.com. Love to hear from you. Dot com or what backcountry hunting podcast? Sorry. Yeah, Joseph at backcountry hunting podcast. Dang it. I'm I'm confusing myself now. The email address is Joseph at backcountrypodcast.com. Okay. The web address you. is dot net. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 I just wanted to clarify it. Make yeah, sure thanks. there wasn't a Gmail or a you know something there. Cause I'll do right. that. I will do that all the time. It's like, oh yeah, just drop me an email at houndsmanxp.com. You know, and <laughs> yeah. Come on. What are you thinking? <laughs> but anyway, you can check us. Joseph, I appreciate appreciate it. It's been a great show. Uh, if we can ever reciprocate and, uh, we'll stay in touch, try to get absolutely for sure. It's been a, (laughs) sorry to talk over you there. No, that's all right. (laughs) Unity is the key, man. Unity is the key. I agree. It's been a privilege and honor to join you here. And, uh, you bet. I'd love to get you on the backcountry hunting podcast to talk about dogs and bear hunting, lion hunting someday. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do it. Folks, you can check out this podcast and all of our other podcasts by going to houndsmanxp.com you can uh we've got all the links to all the shows there a lot more shows just like this one talking to great people that are passionate about hunting that that carry a good message and uh join us on patreon you can support us on patreon you can go to houndsmanxp make sure you're shopping our sponsors checking out our merch all that good stuff that i have to say at the end of every podcast thanks for tuning in to the houndsman xp podcast this is fair chase <laughs>